मतलब Thank you very much, Kushal. Always a pleasure speaking to you. I owe you an apology for disappearing in the middle. Um, <laughs> and we always have we always have fun talking on the on Charvaka and uh, and having these free willing discussions. So really delighted to be back on your platform. Yeah, uh, and and you know what? Let's start here. Yeah, see, I've yeah. read both the books now. Now yeah. I was wondering, Malla, from the new BJP to Tekade, like. Why? Why such a drastic change in the for that book and this book? Like in terms of hmm. topics, like what? What got you into this this particular aspect? So uh, very simply, I mean, at one level, I was a media scholar before I became a scholar of politics. So my earlier books were on media and so on. Uh, but for the last few years, I've been focusing on understanding politics in this country and so on. But why did I write this book after the new BJP? Fundamentally, because while I was studying. why the bjp has expanded in the way it has post 2014 we've done previous episode on your show on that so i'll not go into the details of it but one of the things that fascinated me uh, in and which i discovered was the whole rise of direct benefit transfers and so on and how that changed the nature of our polity that you know bjp wasn't just it wasn't just hindutva it wasn't just cultural nationalism there was a whole bunch of stuff happening around the welfare state uh, which the bjp was benefiting from which was under the surface which has not been talked about in newspapers television channels all of that and there was a real revolution happening on that which bjp bjp politically benefited from it's not limited to just bjp other non bjp governments also doing the same thing but the bjp was the sutradhar of this and got the early benefits of it so when i saw that i kind of um, it seemed to me that this needed further investigation it seemed to me that there is a digital revolution happening in this country which has changed the country fundamentally No, we think about political communication. We think about Twitter and the trolls and all of that. But that's just one tiny speck of the iceberg, right? There is a much deeper way in which politicians are now engaging with um, uh, with with voters. Uh, that's because of the digital revolution. There's a different way in which the state is engaging with the poor with direct benefit transfers. That's because of the digital revolution. Um, what's happening with UPI is changing the economy fundamentally. So you know, I kind of got into this from that from when I was looking at from a political angle. but i felt i need to remove that lens of of the political impact of this and look at the the story itself of what is politics is just one of the offshoots of this where where politics changed but i wanted to understand what was the original story itself and that's why i wrote this book called india's decade and um digital revolution and change in the world as a democracy because i wanted to under, look what is happening in india is unprecedented with the digital revolution um it, it is unprecedented on a number of counts normally when you think of great disruptions you think about in, in tech you think about the, the you think about the silicon valley or you think about the west more broadly speaking um this is something which has happened in india uh, a developing economy it is something which has been enabled by the state normally you think about private sector leading this right google facebook you know twitter all of that but this has been led enabled by the state and it has never happened this kind of a digital shift in a society on this scale ever in history and it's got a, incredible consequences across every aspect of our lives and i think if we don't tell our story who else will tell our story because a lot of this story telling around digital change tech is dominated by the west and i do think something special is happening in this country we need it to be documented so when you do policy analysis from hmm. a scholar's perspective what are the things that you look for because these are policy decisions right these are policy hmm. decisions to uh to take the country in a certain direction by the government now we'll get into the specifics because mm-hmm. i know you cover mm-hmm. aadhar you cover upi yeah. you cover uh welfare 
from a normal welfare scheme perspective and then digital welfare like you specifically mm. call digital social welfare but mm. but you were analyzing this what were the criterion that you were setting for this so uh, see um when whenever new paradigms are born so for example to slightly off uh, character from what we are talking about um you know the jama there was a beauty pageant boom in the 90s um when uh-huh. suddenly after Sushmita, after Sushmita Sen became Miss Universe then Aishwarya Rai became Miss World and there was a big boom in beauty queens in this country um similarly there was a big boom in the IT sector right uh, where in, the infosys and the tcss of the world were born and you know we became the back office of the world and pramod mahajan for example who was then the it minister under the vajpayee regime famously said that the reason why the beauty pageant sector and the it sector exploded in india was because the government didn't know what was happening here and before the government could do anything about it it had already become big and and ie when government does something it it messes it up always and therefore and these sectors expanded and way ahead of regulation before the government realized what was happening and it was too big to for it to cram down um so when to answer your question i am alluding to this example to answer your question that when you look at policy the only what is the aim of public policy it is for the betterment of society right uh, in a country like ours it must be to remove uh, to to alleviate poverty it it must be um, to to create a, a, a level playing field uh, and all of that for for the private sector along with the social social welfare uh, objectives that the state must have um so what is my metric in this case in the case of the digital revolution what has happened is that it is policy changes initiated across two different regimes uh, two ideologically opposite regimes which is also rare in history uh, which have led to this digital shift it was in, it was a public private partnership it was it was taken forward by private actors the paytms of the world for example in upi or other such platforms but fundamentally it was enabled by the state we aaj ke date mein you and i work on upi um, you, they, we don't pay a charge for um, uh, or google uh, uh, pay does not pay a charge if you swipe your credit card uh, or swipe your debit card after a point you will pay a small charge for that especially we're doing it on on another bank's machine uh, in when you make a upi payment you don't pay a charge that's a government decision to 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 let to let that be a free highway that's what public policy is in this case and in india's case this is just one small example across a wide gamut of digital aspects the state had a particular objective to make to make digitization the the conduit for a large amount of social change uh, it could have failed nobody believed when it started uh, that it, it's going to become what it did nobody believed in upi when it started nobody believed in debit in direct benefit transfers to the extent that it became big um, i think in this case for once uh, governmental decisions were taken and they worked they they succeeded beyond the dreams of their makers and they took a life of their own but behind it all was a great amount of political will and political capital which is rare for thing like normally you know the private companies do it uh, uh, but in this case it was this it was led by the state and it was public policy which led to a betterment of our society i think on significant ways so you rightfully pointed out because you start chapter 1 by stating this that this journey starts from if i remember the year correctly 2009 if i remember the year correctly and it goes on now till now it has been going on so let's now focus on the aadhar story hmm. now what is so unique about aadhar according to you so um aadhar um it's what is it it's ultimately it's a unique digital id system right now hmm. uh for any kind of digital effort to work identifying that you are who you are through a through a number is the core of this if if i am want to transfer money to kushal mehra and i uh, don't know how to reach kushal mehra how will i do it so you need the unique id system right um i think it was one of the great things that's happened in india is why the digital revolution happened was because we had the uh, a confluence of three things without which it would have been impossible to do anything that happened in the last 10 12 years first was the rise of um Cheap, the cheap mobile phone because the biggest problem in india is with digital digitalization has always been digital access between the rich and the poor uh, so what no matter what you make or no matter what looks good on a sexy powerpoint 
it's not going to work if people can't access it, right? Uh, no matter what tech wizards will tell you. Now, because of the cheap mobile phone, first came the cheap mobile phone in the early 2000s, uh, the mass mobile phone, uh, then came cheap data, which completely um, massified uh, data, and then came the unique ID system. Each of these was was fundamental. If you don't have any one of these, none of the, what we've seen, seen would have happened. Now, Aadhaar, when it was initially born, there was a lot of opposition to it, remember? How was Aadhaar created? It was created by the Manmohan Singh government. Nandan Nilikini was brought in as the chairman of the UIDAI. Uh, there was no legislative backing for Aadhaar. There was a huge debate in government about whether you should create a system or not, because there was a fear this would create a surveillance state. It will create a big brother state. It will exclude a lot of people. And it will provide the state ways of getting into your drawing room in the way even television cannot get into your drawing room, right? Into your pockets, actually, literally in your pockets. Um, yeah. Now, um, if, if when Aadhaar was created, if I remember right, it was created as an attached office of the then Planning Commission, what is now the Niti Aayog, uh, yeah. by a slate of rent, right? By by executive order. By the time Modi comes to power in 2014 uh, May. By then, a significant number of Aadhaar numbers have been seeded. Uh, there was still a debate happening around Aadhaar at that point. Eventually, the debate was settled by the Supreme Court. Uh, and I will come to that uh, uh, shortly because there was a legislation that was eventually passed in Parliament as a money bill. And eventually, the Supreme Court then said this legislation is fine and there's nothing wrong with it. We should go with Aadhaar. We'll come to that. But fundamentally, what happened with Aadhaar? When Narendra Modi comes to power, there is a significant number of Aadhaar numbers, but there's a big question mark on the future of Aadhaar at that point. And that question mark is because the BJP officially had opposed the idea of Aadhaar in the 2014 election campaign. Mr. Modi himself had personally campaigned against Nandan Nilikani, who was then the Congress candidate in South Bangalore. Mr. Modi himself had campaigned against Nilikani in South Bangalore and said in a meeting that, that this is being misused in a public meeting. So there was, so when Mr. Modi comes to power, uh, Aadhaar was against the stated policy of, of his party. He was a powerful prime minister. He had personally taken a position against it, even as the chief minister of Gujarat. So I asked Mr. Modi this question that what, what changed? So there was a serious debate in government ki Aadhaar ka kya hoga? Uh, if you remember, even during the UPA time, there was a big debate between um, uh, the finance ministry and the home ministry ki, uh, who controlled Aadhaar. There was Pranam Mukherjee, the late Pranam Mukherjee on one side, and there was Chidambaram on the other side. And there was a there was there was the finance guys who wanted to control it, and there was the security balance. And this mm -hmm. debate was along was to, to this debate was added the big question mark about the future. So yeah. Mr. Modi, when he comes to power, different parts of government give him presentations about what should happen or what should not happen. The home minister, can you hear me? I think my connection yeah, yeah. went for a little bit. Okay. No, so, no, I, there is I a very pivotal meeting. And I asked Mr. Modi this question, that what made you change your mind? And he said, ask Nandan. And he smiled and he said, you asked Nandan this. And he said, my objections were to, not to the idea of Aadhaar, it was to um, things that I would find would happen on the ground that, that would make it fail. And I raised these and these were solved. Now, how was this decision taken? Sometime in early July, there's a, a very important meeting that happens between Nandan Nilikini and the Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Uh, with the late Arun Jaitley, who was then the finance minister, was also in that meeting, where Mr. Modi takes a political decision after hearing various arguments. By this time, different ministries have already briefed him, and they're waiting for a decision. And then he calls Nilikini for a meeting, and they have a meeting, and he comes out of the meeting, a decision is taken, we will now back Aadhaar completely. And he puts his entire political capital behind it. So within Within two, three weeks, the amount of money sanctioned to increase Aadhaar numbers is doubled. Um, the Home Ministry of Prime Minister issues statements saying that we this is now a stated policy of our government to now really expand. And it's not just policy. They're putting the money where, where, it's, where the mouth is because the budget for seating Aadhaar numbers has increased substantially. And this is, this is uh, uh, in July. Exactly a month later, after this money is allocated and after these political decisions are taken, what is the impact of this political capital of Mr. Modi putting it entirely behind this decision, which was a controversial decision, remember? Even for the UPA, it was highly controversial to, to bring in Aadhaar. Um, now, Mr. Modi backs it 
and he goes to his first independence speech on 15th august 2014 and that's for the first time he talks about the idea of, a, of what is now called digital india for the first time he talks about jandhan accounts uh, he says that i have come to delhi as an outsider in his speech uh, and i found different warring government departments fighting with each other uh, as an outsider that's how i see them um, but i want to change this and he talks about the idea of digital uh, india he talks about the idea of swachh bharat he talks about the idea of jandhan accounts a lot of people didn't take the jandhan account seriously but for 15th august he announces it around the 21st to 22nd of august the jan pm jandhan yojana is actually formally announced by the government yeah and yeah. by the end of the year in the next two, uh, um, the, the amount of uh, a guinness uh, no in, in within a month a guinness record world record is established on the number of accounts that are created over the next 2 3 years india brings in almost half a billion people into the formal banking system what this means is that somewhere around 468 million people who never had bank accounts earlier bank accounts are created for them and they now are formally part of the banking system now a lot of people said yaar ye to bakwas hai because these are all free accounts these accounts are not operative so what's the point these are just publicity however mm-hmm. look at how operative these accounts were out of these 468 million accounts about 370 million were operative i.e they were having at least one or two transactions every month now this kind of this is financial inclusion india had very low levels of financial inclusion before 2014 by mm-hmm. 2016 17 because of pm jandhan yojana you have brought in half of almost half a billion people into the bank into the formal banking net which look at the advantages of that you have a banking a lot of government spend money on the poor every government has spent money on the poor the problem in india has been we never known where to find the poor and it money got lost in the system right rajiv gandhi used to say that the famous statement out of every rupee that goes to the poor 15 paisa only reaches the guy at the bottom the 75 paisa is you know in corruption now yeah. if you have the account and the state is going to transfer firstly you know exactly who this person is that's only enabled through aadhar that goes back to the aadhar point you could not have done this without aadhar that's why that term jam trinity jan jandan aadhar mobile you know you bring these three together because bank accounts are by the way are operated only through the mostly almost in all, almost majority of these cases through mobile phones through cheap data so again without this this would not be possible this kind of banking expansion and you can't reach the person without the aadhar id that becomes the enabling thing and then now you have that many people in the financial net and now even the state can cut through all the layers of middlemen through the from the central government to the bottom and the money can directly go into these accounts that is what changes changes uh, the nature of the state and the relationship between the state and the poor that i am calling it a, a welfare state 2.0 or the, the word the, the term that you used as well the digital social welfare none of this would have been possible without aadhar now there are debates around aadhar right i mean there was remember we talked about even now there's been a leakage of reports of leaking of aadhar numbers and so on just last couple of days ago now mm. supreme court weighed all these things the supreme court actually uh, after the this expansion of financial inclusion happened which by the way has been praised by the imf by the world bank by google by uh, all the big tech giants um, saying that look we've never seen any, any such expansion in any country of the banking net like this india went from somewhere around 30 to 40% financial inclusion ratios to about 85 86% in just a period of 3 or 4 years now um, the supreme court when it weighed the cost and benefit of this and the pros and cons of this the supreme court basically ruled on the one side of people who say that aadhar will enable big brother it will enable a surveillance state it will enable an orwellian state on the other hand are people who say that there there is there should be complete free speech it should be complete independence and all of that and there are two extremes and the supreme court said we looked at both the extremes and on balance the benefits of aadhar even though there may be many misuses the benefits of aadhar outweigh the negatives and therefore we think it's in the larger interest of the country and therefore we allow it and i think the supreme mm. court was right now i i do have my personal doubts but i i had kept that doubt wala question for the latter yeah. half not yeah. for now because we cannot no, i cannot have real fun towards the latter half ha huh, so because uh, i cannot explain my question until and unless mm. we don't talk about upi and uh, mm. the the digital welfare transfers mm. 
and and i'll explain why i am thinking the way i am is because uh, uh as you know i lean very libertarian and i don't like yeah. government i don't like government yeah. that's just my instinct i just every time i look at government i get very scared uh, especially mm-hmm. after what i have seen since covid the dirty games governments across mm-hmm. the world have played with mm-hmm. our lives i am i have become even more paranoid and i'm not uh, talking about the vaccine or anything before somebody thinks i'm very pro vaccine bhai main vaccine mm. ki baat nahi kar raha hu main aur cheezon ki baat kar raha hu iske yeah. pehle ki don't don't uh, uh, falsely attribute anything to me but now now uh, personally to me the greatest achievement of india in the last probably post independence Hmm. you know there were the first few you know achievements were whatever we did but to me if somebody asked me what was india's legacy or the hmm. indian state's legacy i would say the top 5 i would say upi i hmm. upi is and and i and i say the i use the word indian state is because it's not about the bjp or congress Correct. it's about the state and and hmm. uh, and and unfortunately a lot of people you know want to make everything about bjp and congress but hmm. when when you know what i loved about this book was can i say this you did not look at it from a bjp congress perspective you looked at it as a policy decisions made by just one indian government and you're hmm. looking at the success of the policy now hmm. what is the story of upi can you tell everybody like i don't think so a lot of people even know about the story of upi hmm uh, thanks for that uh, kushal um uh, the can i start with the exam personal example um, sure. sometime last year um actually 2022 beginning of 2022 um and this is not because i'm not making a political point here again this is not nothing to do with bjp or congress it's just the i'm going to give an example because that's the state i traveled in before the 2022 up election i traveled about 3 4000 kilometers from the left from one end of the state to the other other end of the state i was going through some of the most backward areas uh, some of the most deprived areas in the state by every parameter and i was carrying a lot of cash was 5 years ago i i had traveled the same route and knew from experience that cards will not work so i had atm machines will be few and far between i need to carry cash by the end of the trip i had hardly spent any of that cash because i didn't need the cash to that trip because of the upi uh and i was staying in roadside places i was only buying on roadsides so i was completely astonished by this i didn't expect this in a state uh, which is so low down in development indicators to have this kind of penetration of upi um what is the story of upi uh just last month uh, we have crossed 10 billion transactions in upi worth over 15000 crores in just in that month um i think there are five this is a fintech revolution of a kind that never been seen anywhere else in the world there are five or things six, six things which which wake it a fintech revolution which is unprecedented first is the size and scale of course the second is that this this is primarily been driven by rural india uh, as much as it's been written is not just an urban phenomenon ye, ye explain road, karo ye explain karo so agar aap upi ka expansion rate dekho or compared to say debit cards or atms you know upi connected more indians in 6 months than debit cards and atms could do in 25 years fascinating now, and that's a that's a real number now that only happened because the expansion of upi happened beyond urban areas urban areas of course like today if you compare so i looked at for example areas like say compare bangalore with say sangli or say raibareli which is sonia gandhi's constituency and you see the growth rate of upi which we saw the we charted it on a map the growth rate of upi of urban areas with rural areas and we saw that the growth rate in the rural areas was completely out of whack way higher than urban areas so raibareli and sangli are growing at a way faster pace than say bangalore grown in upi of course the absolute numbers in bangalore are much higher but what i'm trying to tell you is that this is not an urban phenomenon alone this is not an elitist phenomenon it is a mass it's gone viral and it's gone viral in rural india in ways that has changed rural india completely and that's why i was giving the example of my travels through up in the most backward that was all through rural up that would be true for bihar as well it would be true for maharashtra as well um upi and but most fundamentally so it's it's, it's a public good that went viral but most fundamentally it is a public good unlike anywhere else in the world it's a financial mechanism that is not owned by a private party 
So what is UPI? How was it created? Essentially, the Reserve Bank of India and several banks, private and public banks, about 30 plus at that point of time, they got together and they created a non-profit entity. It was a Section 9 company. It was set up as a non-profit entity, which was the National Payments Corporation of India. And they said, um, at that time, there were some 30 plus banks. Now, today, some 450 odd banks are part of this consortium. And they put in money. And with that, a non-profit was raised, uh, which is subsidized by government. So, And they created this financial highway, if you like, which connects our financial transactions. Now, typically, think about it vis-a-vis, -vis, say, a debit card or an ATM. Normally, when you pay through debit card, you have to have a point of sale machine. Now, that point of sale machine where you do the transaction on, it has to accept or it has to have, if you're American Express or MasterCard, it should be enabled for that, right? If you've got the third thing, it will not work on that machine. The beauty of UPI is that it's interoperable. It's interoperable across platforms. If I have, and this is something that a lot of my Western friends don't understand at all. I, in fact, I, I, I have to show many of my friends to make them believe it, that look, I may have phone pay on my account. You may have Paytm, but I, I can transfer money to you from phone pay to Paytm linked to my bank and link, I can take it out from my bank, which is ICICI. You could be HDFC. You could make a transaction from ICICI to HDFC through these mechanisms, which are not linked, which are all commercially separate and it'll go through in a second through your phone. Now that interoperability does not exist in most places in the world. Typically, what are electronic wallets? They are basically, you know, you put credit in your electronic wallet, but my electronic wallet will talk to electronic wallet. We are the same company. They are not that interoperable in many parts of the world. And certainly they are not directly linked to real-time bank transactions in most Western countries. Think about Germany, think about Scandinavia. Um, you know, the banks are some of the most traditional bastions of traditionalism. So they will not, they'll see this as a threat. So in India, we did what many Western countries have never done before made it all interoperable um, and it was 99% of UPI transactions are free of cost. So you have a digital financial freeway, which you're not paying any toll tax on. Um, so if you're Google, for example, and you have a Google payment system, you are making a lot of money on UPI transactions, but you're not paying any, any transaction cost for it. And that's a government policy decision. Last year, uh, the, Supreme, the RB, the finance ministry released a, a, a working paper saying that we should charge money for it. There was a lot of you and cry about it. And the ministry said, no, no, we're not going to do it for now. And that's why I'm saying it's, it's a public good. The government saw it as a public good. And that is what enabled, that's why UPI became viral. And that's why it went into rural India. Because it was so easy. It was everything, every system could talk to every other system. It doesn't normally happen in the financial world. And I think what it did is that it allowed for a new, it created a new hinge for our economy new financial hinge, if you like, by giving an alternative system of transactions. It allowed for a new state-citizen relationship through direct benefit transfers, because they also happen through UPI. Um, it allowed several small-scale businesses to scale up. And this fintech revolution was, was planned by the state. It wasn't, it didn't happen by accident. It succeeded beyond the, the wildest imagination of even its biggest proponents had, but it was a planned intervention. Um, I mean, you know, you remember this thing, this very thing which went viral a couple of years back that how UPI killed the toffee. It's a very funny story that they said, you know, when you were growing up, you'd always go to the Panwala or something and you would buy something and if the 50% change which was left, they'll give you a toffee. And there is a, there is a lot of people now saying the toffee has been killed as a form of exchange. Think about go to a shop now. Does anybody give you a toffee for change anymore? No, because they actually preferred that you do it on the UPI. Because he, it's, he doesn't have change. He's not, he's not keeping separate toffees to give you change. So, you know, that, that tells you how, how, how much of a mass thing it's become. It's not an elite thing at all like debit cards or ATMs still are in many cases. To me, the greatest achievement of UPI is people don't understand traveling is a big Haan. pain if you don't have chutta. So Mumbai mein, agar minimum rickshaw ka fare 20 rupiah hota hai na, to sab log khush hote hain. Yeah. Wo 20 ka 21 hota hai na, to sare dukhi ho jate hain. Abhi is samay shayad 3.5 hai Mumbai mein. To wo aur dukhi hain. Kyunki chutta na rickshaw wale ke paas hota hai, 
और एग्जैक्ट अमाउंट दूसरे के पास नहीं होता है नाउ यूपीआई हैज सॉल्व दिस मैसिव प्रॉब्लम सो एवरी रिक्शा वाला नाउ व्हेन यू ट्रैवल नाउ इन मुंबई देयर वाज सम रेजिस्टेंस 2 3 इयर्स अगो बट नाउ इफ यू गो टू द रिक्शा वालास राइट एंड यू टेल देम कि देखो भैया आई डोंट हैव चेंज सो इफ यू वांट आई कैन गिव यू द एग्जैक्ट अमाउंट थ्रू यूपीआई एंड इट्स हिलेरियस सो हाउ लास्ट टाइम आई केम the rickshaw wala he's like ha hai na hamare paas phone pe then he takes hmm. out his qr code and he shows his qr code to me and i paid him i was like to jeb mein rakhte ho bolta ha abhi rickshaw mein lagane ka nahi jab jiske paas hmm. they still for some odd reason they prefer uh, cash i don't know why they don't like hmm. it but now they are getting used to the idea that a lot of their customers don't have cash uh, hmm. so they still prefer uh, uh, so now they're less resistant to the idea but yeah in mumbai now you can go to any rickshaw you can go to hmm. any bhelpuri wala you can hmm. go to literally any street food vendor even a chai wo cycle pe chai ghumti hai na apne yahan pe yaar jo chai leke jata hai raat ko sirf sham ko 2 ghante ke liye aayega 3 ghante ke liye aayega people will buy one cigarette or two cigarettes from him and take a small chai or coffee and that person everybody i see now has a qr code very clearly they, uh, it's it's just uh, as they say it's in our dna now hmm. let us talk about point 3 now how has this helped in plugging the holes is something a lot of people don't understand even now yeah. इट्स ऑल गुड टू से यू नो राजीव गांधी जैसे राजीव गांधी का डायलॉग था इतना पैसा वेस्ट हो जाता है ये हो जाता है वो हो जाता है ऑल गुड बट लाइक आई आई शेयर एन एग्जांपल फ्रॉम माय वर्क इन रूरल इंडिया सो हाउ देर वाज अ बाथरूम स्कीम इवन बिफोर मोदी गवर्नमेंट केम मोस्ट पीपल डोंट नो दिस आई एम शॉक्ट एट हाउ पीपल डिड नॉट नो दैट देर वॉज अ बाथरूम स्कीम बिफोर मोदी गवर्नमेंट केम ऑल्सो but why did the modi government bathroom scheme work and why the previous scheme failed hmm. was basically digital technology so what hmm. modi government did was paisa tumko bathroom banane ka denge magar pehle photo kicho bathroom banao photo kicho aaj hi dekhao beneficiary khud banao photo aayegi geo geo location tag hogi paisa bank mein transfer hoga hmm that be, because they force fitted technology in it and that money was transferred using jandhan aadha absolutely that's true for the swachh bharat scheme as you pointed out it also true for the pm awas yojana where some 26 27 million houses were built is true for that too uh, may i may i add something to this i mean uh, before i respond to this point i want to add one last point about upi before i answer sure. this point Uh, the other thing which is great about upi kushal which i forgot to mention was that um it gives you an alternative of for financial transactions outside of the western highways of finance and that's important because and there's a it gives india why is there so much of interest in dpi uh, of public infrastructure around the world in the g20 just now in new delhi the declaration for the first time uh, a definition of dpi was adopted um why did that happen because after the russia and ukraine war there was genuine concern in many countries what 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 did sanctions do in in russia because russian government has gone to war against the ukrainian state the western sanctions basically disabled swift in russia so a lot of russian ordinary people who had nothing to do with the state who had put money in banks and who were dependent on this now don't have access to swift so a lot of people said yeah, this can happen to us tomorrow also tomorrow if you know you piss off um, the powers that be something like that happen in your country also now so and you and what is swift swift is, is not a government owned system but the government decided to impose these sanctions so that is why when upi became big a lot of countries suddenly started looking at upi a bit more seriously as an alternative as a future alternative it's not an accident that 70 plus countries are are directly involved in talks with india for some triaps on upi several countries where it's already started singapore the pay now system is now integrated with upi in dubai the middle east there's now a tie up in france there's now a tie up uh, several other countries are tie ups 
so at one level it gives india a great financial export uh, of, of a tech kind it is chinese had the one belt one road initiative but digital public infrastructure like upi is a much cheaper version of that uh, and a very useful one and it's built by this, you know it's it's a digital that's why i, I think it gives india much a new lever of soft power which is actually useful and the geopolitical conditions were such after the russia ukraine war that it the timing worked very well for india in that sense that by accident upi was happening at the same time people started looking at it very seriously as a possible alternative system which is not dominated by just one group of countries so that's one point on upi on the point you were making about direct benefit transfers and about the rajiv gandhi what's changed with direct benefit transfers so um i think one can give a very easy glib answer and say yaar bada acha technology hai button dabao pahunchta hai i think things are a bit more complicated than that um the what has changed is that see uh, and i've done a lot of work in various villages in several states we did dipsic studies in in several states across language barriers and so on in different kinds of states with different populations uh, we also looked at the macro data now here are three or four takeaways that i have on this and what's changed why this has become so important first is at a very basic level typically in the past when you had a scheme like the schemes that you mentioned the toilet scheme or other things schemes before that when the central government gives decides to give certain money till by the time it reaches the end point the poor person on the ground there are six or seven layers it has to pass through so it goes from central government to state government from there to To, to, to the to, to the district office to the zonal person to the district officer to the panchayat head eventually at some at some point after six seven layers it goes down now when there was when this thing was not digital there was leakage at almost every point there would be corruption at almost every point i'll give you the example of one uh, of the manrega scheme um, so typically pehle kya hota tha that there are say 500 people in a village who are eligible for manrega wages the guy sarpanch will put 700 people so 500 ka paisa aaya 200 are fictitious he's pocketed the money himself or herself of the remaining 500 which are genuine beneficiaries the person is taking a cut you have to give guy 1000 bucks you will say yaar i'll give you the money 200 rupees mera at 300 rupees mera you get 700 bucks the poor person has no choice 700 rupees is better than getting 1000 rupees getting than getting zero so there was that kind of leakage as well right what digitization did is firstly it cut off the fictitious part to a large extent not entirely but to a significant extent second it also changed the power dynamic it's not like the cut is not happening now um and this is something which i realized only when i went to a village in up and spoke to people and i thought it was great yaar money is coming directly now nobody taking cut but these villagers educated me they said no no we are still giving a cut to the sarpanch they said kya ho raha hai that earlier we were giving say Out of thousand bucks, three hundred rupees is cut to the sarpanch. Now what's happening? The money is coming into my account if I am a poor person. But this is money from one scheme. Now this sarpanch still has the power on me to make me count, put my name as eligible for other schemes. So if I don't keep this person happy, he will not put my name as sanctioned for others coming to my account. The power equation has changed. So instead of giving three hundred rupees. He is not giving me himself. I am now giving him back. If you give him three rupees, I will give him hundred rupees. So that dynamic changed. So there is a, the leakage reduced significantly. That's one level, and the macro numbers are as follows: twenty-seven lakh crore is what, or twenty-eight lakh crores, roughly, or around twenty-seven billion dollars is what was spent in direct benefit transfers between twenty fourteen fifteen to twenty twenty two twenty three. And and let me give you a sense of this. um this is the first point on the scale of this um 2013 14 by the way that includes in the manmohan singh period and the upi upa period 2013 14 to 22 23 the number of schemes that were which used this direct benefit transfer mechanism went up by 11 times so it uh, doubled from 28 government schemes to somewhere around uh, 312 at 1.400 plus schemes were part of this in terms of the people who benefited that number increased by 8x so it went from an initial 10.8 crore beneficiaries in 2013-14 inclusive manmohan singh period to 92.3 crore beneficiaries in 22-23 and in terms of the actual money that went out that went up by 10x so it went up uh, by 110x sorry not 10x 110x it went up from 
7,367 crores spent in 2013 14 to uh, uh, 2.55 lakh crore in 2022-23. Now, this is just that if you if you add the money given in kind, like in rations and so on, which also was linked now to Aadhaar's, that number goes up by 110 times, right? Uh, to three, 300 uh, to uh, 30,000 crores. Uh, sorry, to to uh, to, to 8,000 crores. Now, that is the level of shift. That's one one thing which changed. The second thing I changed we've, we've talked about is leakages that went down. So, I mean, Modi gives this example in his speeches very often. He says that, look, if the leakage was roughly around 85%, now imagine the money that we have spent in government. For this amount of money to reach the beneficiary, I would have to, I would have, to have spent so much more times of money for this amount of money to reach the poor. So, you know, there mm -hmm. is that aspect as well. So, the state is spending much more efficiently. For the same amount of money, you are doing much more benefit. I think the third um, factor is, that it allowed you to create a different kind of welfare state. Let me explain this. In the when direct benefit transfers started, they were really only about Manrika. It was really about unemployment benefits. So in the first three or four, five years, from 2013-14 to 2015-16, over 50% of these payments were basically unemployment benefits. But from that year onwards, the nature of, the, of this welfare changed. From Manriga, it expanded. I mean, today, Manriga is only 11-12% of the benefits. Imagine it was 52-53% in 2016-17. That's not because the Manriga wow. funds went down. In fact, the Manriga funds actually went up significantly till 22-23. After that, there was a small flatlining. It is because the money spent on other schemes went up far more than Manriga schemes. That's why the percentage share of Manriga went down to 52-53% to just 11-12%. And what are the other things that governments are spending money on? Swachh Bharat, toilets, uh, housing, 28 million houses are sanctioned in India uh, for the poor in this period, out of which 22 million have already been built. Again, money transferred into people's pockets, one and a half lakh each, where they build the houses themselves. So that, so the, so the quality of the schemes in which you're spending money is changed. Third, um, things like... Um, uh, um, I would say things like, uh, you know, in the COVID, COVID period, and we talked about this in our last chat also, uh, Kushal, um, uh, I think because you had this system ready when COVID happened, the system had become a mature system by that time. A lot, I mean, we all remember the dead bodies in the Ganganga, we all remember the deprivations of the second wave in particular. I think a, a lot of that, while none of that takes away the deprivation, the government created a significantly big social welfare net. At one point, 800 million Indians were getting some kind of benefit or the other through this mechanism. Right now, even if the number is inflated, it's a very large number. Even if you take out some of that, right? I think a very large reason why governments in India did not pay a political price for the coronavirus period is fundamentally because this kind of social welfare net mitigated some of the hardships in a way that would not have been possible two or three years before that. Uh, it doesn't change the tragedies that happened, but I think this was a huge difference in our government mechanisms from before. I also think uh, the third point I, I want to make and I'll stop here is that the per capita income that is being given to the poor has changed completely. So I'll give you an example. In 2013-14, if you average out the money that's was being spent, one, uh, 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 let me look at this number again. Uh, roughly, the uh, per capita amount was around 1100 rupees per person. So a person got 1100 rupees. So it was a very not very large amount. Now it is somewhere around 3800 per person. So it's, so, the, so it's not just the spread that has increased, it's become deeper. So um, what that does, to my mind, what it does, I don't think it takes away poverty. I don't think it, it, it changes fundamentally people's deprivations. But I think what it does... It gives you a safety net that did not exist before and a safety net that significantly works better than before. Is it 100% effective? No. There are many leakages even now. There are many people who still forge Aadhaar numbers and so on. Yes. But um, the poor have benefited more from the same amount of money the government is spending than they ever did before. And that's why um, it's changed the quality of governance. And this is not a BJP thing alone. You think about um, the Congress government in Karnataka now. 
uh, on the five promises that brought them to power. Um, after they were not given the um, uh, the rice which they had promised uh, from the central government, the Congress government in Karnataka has issued the single highest dietary benefit transfer in the history of the world on one single day. That was possible because the technology is there. Uh, even do uh, you look at a government like um, uh, the BRS government in Telangana? Um, uh, PM Kisan, which is a good example of direct benefit transfer, which is a central government scheme, was did not come out of nowhere. It was preceded by Raitu Bandhu scheme of BRS in Telangana, which was the single largest money transfer scheme to farmers directly. When that worked, it allowed, it helped um, the, the, the BRS government to come to power in 2018. The BJP then replicated it at, as PM Kisan so before the 2019 election. You look at DMK in Tamil Nadu, you look at West Bengal, Mamta Banerjee, they are all using different aspects of DBT for specific schemes. The, the, the Tamil Nadu government has recently announced a scheme for very benefit transfers of to women in the name of Karunanadi, the, 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 the late, the late uh, Mr. Karunanadi. So I think all of these things have created a new kind of relationship between the poor. The expectation of the poor is now much more from the state. So they're now getting money in their pockets. Now there is a downside to it because the promise, now there is a real expectation. For some time this will work, after a point the expectation will rise. And if enough jobs are not created, if, if the system is doesn't remain as if, or doesn't become more efficient and so on, then there'll be a point of diminishing returns and there'll be a backlash, possibly. But there is no question in my mind that all the data and the evidence shows us that the uh, this has changed the nature of social welfare paradigmically in this country, not just incrementally. Yeah, and even as a technology, I don't know how many people know about this. I did not know until I started living in Canada, at least for a few months since the last two years. So Canada has this technology, what they call interact e-transfer. So, so you can send money within Canada to a person or a business. So what, what they have done is they, they attach your uh, mobile number and your email ID to and you unique id and then if you want to send money to each other in canada you have to send money from your bank account using interact it's a very tedious system hmm. but it goes through and when i like i recently uh i was there and i had to go to a doctor so i told my wife so we basically made a payment to the doctor from my wife's account so i used the system and i made the payment and i also was like I was so spoiled using UPI in yeah. India and I was just whining incessantly when, uh, you know, telling my wife, Ki, Kya hai ye system? Itna time lagta hai. it should just go in one click and you guys take so forever. And then it's, it's just a, a weird system. Yeah. The Canadians have, I think the Canadians could learn a thing or two on this, but now let, let's, uh, my may objections. Add so now, so just as you were speaking, you know, uh, I'm currently doing a comparative project looking at similar systems like Canada and Germany and US and so on with India. And one thing we discovered was that in the US today, if you get social welfare, if you're on the dole in the US, uh, you if you get social welfare, you get a check. And that check will be in cash after two weeks. So that is the dark ages compared to what you do with, you know, what a poor welfare today happens in India. Like Germany, for example, doesn't have this. This is also a major reason why a lot of countries are looking at digital public infrastructure very seriously um, uh, for, for that reason. By the way, when the Japanese um, minister came to India, and this story was told to me by um, uh, by somebody in the IT ministry, a senior official in the IT ministry, they were trying to explain what UPI is. And this guy and the Japanese minister was just not understanding it. He was saying, okay, it's some Jeevis thing. You know, it's, what's the big deal? Then they said, no, no, let's simple thing. After half an hour of presentation and PowerPoint, they said, okay, forget it. Let's go out of the ministry. Let's go to the pawn shop outside. They took him outside. And then he said, okay, now they showed him, this is how we make the payment on the phone. Just like he was saying one step. In that second, with that one step, the thing clicked. The guy completely changed. He said, okay, this is fantastic. We are signing an agreement with you for this. Because, you know, you have to see it to believe it, how fast it works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Okay, back to you. The the technological achievement that UPI is, is actually kind of amazing. But now, now to my concerns now, and I'm, why did I use COVID as an example? COVID created a unique scenario where the encroachment of the state in our life has significantly become very big. 
I was a vehement mm. opponent of lockdowns. I, like I said, I'm very pro-vaccine, but I just saw governments interfering in our life. And again, I, I'll use different examples everywhere, whether mm. it was COVID policy making. But there is one aspect that happened in Canada, mm. which was the truckers' protest. Why I used mm. the truckers' protest as an example is. Let listen. America and Canada are very, very digitized societies. Like mm-hmm. everybody over there just uses a card. I mean, mm-hmm. I I barely see cash in Canada. Like I've mm-hmm. barely seen. It. Honestly, I was there now for four and a half months. मैंने पांच डॉलर भी कैश नहीं यूज़ किया होगा उधर. These societies are highly digitized. Mm-hmm. But why I use the truckers' protest as an example is that when the truckers' protest happened, the government, because your life is so digitized, basically could shut down all their bank accounts, hmm. freeze everything you have, and basically muzzle of whatever it doesn't like. Hmm. Now in India, as we move from point A to point B. i get very scared and i think this is one aspect that the courts uh need to consider hmm. and uh, i it, will i use cash no but it's very scary that the government can in one fell swoop just take your things away and i think this technological revolution mm. needs to be backed up by a lot of other things and which is where i i i know indians love government a lot i mean i am the rare indian who doesn't like government i think government is a problem but uh, this is something that i i personally think people should think about is india's tech revolution to be celebrated yes has india hmm. uh, benefited from this and the be- benefits outweigh uh, far sig- more significantly the problems yes but nalin the problem will start when we become a 10000 dollar economy yeah when we will have enough people in the society with something to lose right now that number is not enough i think you i think we'll be on a very important um, key debate on tech and society uh, um this is for sure a big concern uh, about the state having access to everything uh and by the way this is it's not i'm not we talked with supreme court then saying that right now there's there's a greater public good than loss uh, but you i think you've gone to something um so one of the big is right now i mean this and uh, is this that we have built this without really having a legal architecture to protect the individual so for example till a couple of months ago uh legislative terms governed by the it act you know something like upi was not even a glimmer in the eyes of those invented at that time when the internet was just about taking off in india so um now we just had the private the digital privacy act which has been passed in this session of parliament uh there is the uh it's not been activated yet it's been passed in parliament the digital india act is on the anvil which changes and other uh, procedure in the digital privacy act for example that a lot of and ie for example exactly the point you made about the canadian truckers uh, there was a concern that what happens when state agencies want to access this this data um and currently the the law that has been passed says that the on national security grounds the state is exempt um uh, from that now a lot of people are not happy with that uh, now, again i think we are at the early stages of this with the digital india act is passed there will be further debates around all of this and so on um but one key thing that should emerge i think is that we have to build a more robust system for protections i mean we've just had the data the reports of the possible big data 
leak. Every six months, there's some report of so many thousand, so many million numbers leaked from some place or the other. Um, now, they may be right, they may be wrong. We don't have evidence from the investigation that happened on those each of those reported allegations. But um, this is also a concern, by the way, when UPI goes global or when Indian DPI goes global, because a lot of people, for example, uh, you know, a very interesting thing, which is indirectly linked to what you're saying, this whole system was called India Stack. They changed the name from India Stack to the digital public infrastructure. You know why? Because when a lot of other countries are becoming int interested in this, they said, well, if something is called India Stack, we're not sure about the security and so on. So they're more comfortable with using a more and generic term like DPI. That's why India changed India Stack to, D to DPI, Digital Public Infrastructure. What is Digital Public Infrastructure? It is basically Aadhaar, a combination of Aadhaar with UPI, all of these things, right? And, and, and it's basically an identity layer with, with Aadhaar. On top of that, you have a payment layer with UPI. On top of that, you have a transactional layer, which is now digital, DigiLocker and so on. That is what D DPI is. It was originally called India Stack. Now, this is a big concern with libertarians, with privacy advocates, uh, with anybody who's uncomfortable about the state. The state often always says, well, in the interest of national security, we can do whatever. But who will police the state? Uh, people don't you know, all, always trust the intention of the state uh, because it's always political. So I think those safeguards have to be built in more. And that's an ongoing debate. I think we're just at the beginning of this right now. Yeah, I, I agree that we are in the beginning of this debate right now. And because we are a relatively poor society and a poor country, so the benefits are so humongous and, and especially when it comes mm -hmm. to social welfare that everybody is overlooking this fact. But sensible yeah. people, policy makers, policy analysts like you, experts like you, I hope somebody, uh, because when I read the book of one of the key members of the truckers' protest, and you know what the funny bit is? Like, how badly they, they screwed with them. I thought this truckers protest was managed by people who were anti-vaxxers. To my utter shock, I found out the two guys hmm. I was talking to who were like running the whole show, they were both vaccinated. I did not know this fact. And a lot of these things were not known. Like, And I was like, then why hmm. were you protesting? He was like, we were just against the mandates. That's all. And boy, like, if the government has this much power, and if the government doesn't like you, and it mm. can basically make you persona non grata, and you are bankless, you can't digital. And the second point was mm. what the Chinese are doing. Now, that's even mm. scarier. The Chinese are creating a social credit score system in their own country. I think what you're pretty much the stuff of science science fiction dystopian movies, right? I mean, there's so many movies you've seen which imagine exactly that kind of future of um, our authoritarian states controlling every aspect of your life and you know with, with these kind of digital barricades and so on. But why don't we think about this? Look, I think firstly this debate is happening in every Western country, in every liberal democracy. I mean, you the current big backlash against big tech is precisely about this, uh, about uh, monopolies about private corporations also having the kind of power on you as you are talking about governments. Um, so you know, should we break the big tech monopolies up like the standard standard uh, oil and all those broken up in the 1930s on oil and so on? Possibly. Um, now, I think that debate is happening everywhere. But I think the answer to why are Indians not as animated about it as many of these other citizens in other countries, I think the answer is you You have the answer, which is that our problems are so different from many of the other countries because of the economic nature of this country so far that, you know, the benefits are still out bigger than the thing. But, you know, as you're right, I mean, as we become a richer country, as more and more people get aside from the 
basic subsidence levels, these debates will, will become far more politically important. They're not politically important right now. They're, they're, they're animated by people like you, by privacy advocates and so on. But it's not a political issue so far. It will become a political issue when enough people can uh, have the wherewithal to think beyond the day-to-day. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just I, uh, that's the only fear I have. I am a huge supporter and, and of these technologies. Fear. It's a genuine fear. I am concerned about this too. Yeah, and and like uh, this is why I said that I will last me rakunga, start me rakunga. I'll ask these questions in the end. But before we wrap it up, Nalin, uh, if I was to ask this one last question, to in your research, what was the one thing? that when you started researching that you did not know and you found out and you went like whoa hmm. so um couple of things on the infrastructure um that look you can have the great ideas you can have um tech solutions but ultimately it is about the brick and mortar no i mean this to, to internet has to work through cables it has to work through submarine cables and all of that so I was surprised by two or three things. Maybe it was my ignorance uh, because this is not something I do on a daily basis. Um, so two or three things. One, that two, and then this goes back to political will. When uh, when they started the Jandhan scheme and all of those things, how did it become so big? It wasn't just people. It wasn't just policy decisions or people being, governments being told, say, different government entities being told to do it. The government, I think, thought or the people who were making these policies did think through that there's going to be a big digital divide. And they set up these common service centers in villages around the country. So give you an example. There were a very small number in 2014. Today, there are some five and a half lakh CSCs around the country. Now, this CSC, what does it do? It basically is you can walk into it. You um, are a poor person. You think you have a pension scheme. You don't know how to access it on the phone. You'll go there. Um, you, they will make the transaction for you on the phone. And in return, that person is a private person. He's not a government employee. He's been licensed by the state to do this transaction for you. But he gets a benefit. He gets a little percentage of that from the state. So he gets an economic benefit. So, you know, it was an, an economic incentive was built into it with, with the private sector. So I think the, well, there's some issues with CSEs, but I think the, the scale of that expansion, and I did studies in several states of this, was quite huge. That surprised me that how, how this worked. I, I went to a village in Almora, for example, and this guy explained to me the CSC, how it worked. At one point, they were doing 3,000, 4,000 um, PM Kisan uh, cards in, one, in a week. Um, now, now, this would not have happened without, without the CSC expansion. The second, I think, is what surprised me is that, you know, we hear just now we've heard about the Tatas, for example, becoming the first, will become the first iPhone makers in India. You just heard the announcement a couple of days back. Yeah. Um, you know what surprised me is India is now the second biggest smartphone manufacturer in the in, in the world uh, because of this the productivity linked in, uh, schemes and so on. Um, what surprised me is uh, electronic exports are now in the top five exports of India. It's bigger than garments, uh, and that tells you the nature of the shift. Right. I mean, electronic exports were nowhere in the horizon. If you look at our top imports and top exports um, mm. five, six, seven years ago. Today, there are more electronic exports today than garments in terms of value. Um, you are now the second biggest smartphone manufacturer in the world. There's a critique of this that, you know, you're giving that there's no, not much enough validation happening in the country. Raghuram Rajan, for example, has argued that you smartphone manufacture kar rahe ho, and you're giving the company an incentive. Basically, what they're doing is what they were manufacturing in Taiwan or somewhere else, they're bringing here and manufacturing here. And you are giving them an incentive to do it. That's why they're coming here. But they're not adding much value. I think that's a bunkum argument because uh, while the value will be added later, that's how you start. That's how China started. Uh, you start adding value. First, you can keep improving it, right? Uh, so look at the nature of the shift in our export imports. And I think finally, what surprised me is the sheer scale of what's happening with the submarine cables thing. Um, you know, the internet around the world is connected with submarine cables um, and so on. There were 17 cables connected to India at one point. Today, three major cables are being constructed. Reliance is building a, a major one uh, connecting the east and the west. 
there are two other big ones and i think the sheer centrality of india to the global internet traffic is reflected now in the sheer physical infrastructure that's been built not just in india but around the world the future expansion of the physical backbone of the internet that's a price yeah i i think that's a very i did not know this bit about garment itna piche chale gaya which is also something uh india should look into is because we still have a huge swath of uh, people who would be you know seriously employable in uh, those things in fact uh professor panagariya ki book mein unhone bola tha we still have 20 good years where we could uh um uh, leverage the garment uh, boom even now but uh, it is what it is but nalin this book was amazing yaar abhi abhi mere ko ek baat bata ki abhi next book kaun si hai thanks very much kushal you are always generous as always next book yaar abhi to bahut thak gaya hu so and and right now preparing for covering the election uh, i think the next book is more on the political side again back to uh, the the political evolution and political developments in the country but really that's just an idea at this point i just i've had two books out in the last two years so i'm kind of taking a little bit of a break from writing yeah i mean yeah you've earned that break because i think i mean two years two books is a lot of work but uh, nalin i always enjoy reading your work uh, this one was also a lot of fun to read and uh, i wish you all the best buddy and thanks for coming thanks so much kushul and lovely to talk as always and thank you for your generous words and always a great pleasure talking to you Thank you thank you. All right guys we'll wrap today's discussion up but before you go in the description of the podcast uh, you'll have Nalin's Twitter handle and also the link to buy the book. So go click the link and buy the book uh, whenever you get the opportunity there is a Kindle version and a hard copy both available. I mean if you're someone like me who reads Kindle you can buy it on Kindle if you like hard copies you can buy hard copies uh and uh, if you want to uh, if you want to support the Charvak podcast please do you can join the membership program on YouTube Patreon or Fanmo you can send your donations through UPI directly or you can buy the Charvak podcast merch if you can't do any of this just like the cha- video subscribe to the channel if you're an audio only listener leave a rating on your favorite audio platform i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care bye